Y'all, we appreciate Samuel Merritt University so much for continuing to help keep this podcast going. They want us to tell you about their new Advance Your Practice Scholarship. They're offering a $10,000 scholarship to anyone who enrolls in their MSN, DNP, or Family Nurse Practitioner programs. Samuel Merritt University has been educating nurses for over 100 years. If you're interested in getting more information about the programs, you can visit them at fnp.samuelmerritt.edu and show them how much you appreciate them for sponsoring our podcast. That's fnp.samuelmerritt.edu. And as always, we'll put that link on our website at goodnursebadnurse.com. I also wanted to remind you that if you're interested in travel nursing, to go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there. And you can also see what they pay, the stipend, the hourly rate, all of that. I'm a travel nurse now with Trusted Health, and I absolutely love working for them. So go to trustedhealth.com, be sure and put forward slash good nurse so that they'll know that we sent you there and fill out a profile today. Hey, everybody, this is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Welcome back to our little podcast where we discuss nursing and healthcare and mix in a little true crime along the way. We have a really awesome show planned for you today with some really fascinating stories that I think we can learn a lot from. Some of them, I mean, what, oh man, the bad nurse story. It's actually a doctor we're going to talk about this week and unbelievable story. I've never heard anything like it, actually. And so I want to go ahead and introduce my guest host. Why I even call you a guest host? He's just like a co-host who just kind of, <laughs> he just kind of pops in and out. Tom with just some podcast. Actually, he is with just some podcast, but we have a new podcast that he's producing now called Will Continue to Monitor that I am super excited about. Tom, welcome back to the show. Thank you, ma'am. Always happy to be here. Well, I'm really excited about you being here. We're going to be a really good show. Very interesting stories. I want you to tell everyone, though, very quickly about this new podcast, We'll Continue to Monitor, just so they can know where can they find it? What is it about? I'm so stoked about this. Well, thank you. And you should be because you are really one of the stimulus of creating the show. So really, Miss Tina, you deserve a lot of credit for basically poking Ben and I and telling us to get our button gear and we appreciate it. So we'll continue to monitor is a podcast where we dive into mysteries. Now we do a lot of medical mysteries, but we keep getting ideas from a lot of people that have heard about the idea for the show. Suddenly everybody has heard of a really cool story. So we cover everything from Rasputin to the Diet Law of Pass incident in Russia. So we do cover medical mysteries. We cover weird events. And honestly, we're kind of keeping the door open. We we're brand new, so we haven't recorded a ton of shows yet, but we are open to doing a show or segment on just about anything. As long as it's cool and it's mysterious and it's something we can really sink our teeth into, we're, we're looking forward to it. It's also a much tighter format. Like we did a lot of bantering and it was an open format for our education podcast. This one, we're trying to keep it a little more streamlined to like a 30 minute so that people can listen to it while they're driving. And that was one of the requests that we listened to people when they sent that in. So very happy they can find it right now for sure on Apple podcast. We are still working on dispersing it to all the other platforms and Ben, my better half, who is not here right now, he is the tech wizard that's working on all that. So I don't know exactly when it'll happen, but it'll happen soon. 
Awesome. I'm excited about it. I've already been able to hear some of the episodes because it's actually, uh, they've done a couple of those on their Just Some Podcast podcast. <laughs> so um, yeah. that's what got me so excited about it is listening to those going, man, this is fascinating. So I'm I'm super stoked about it. And just so you know, just to add some meat for the beginning, what we did is we basically took those and cut them down and then re- purpose them for we'll continue to monitor so if you want to listen there's already four episodes out right now so people can already start listening if they want perfect oh i love that it's a great idea i guess we can get started with this this bad nurse story you know these stories are never you know great stories obviously that's why they make it into this part we always say we like to shine a light in the darkness and just we don't want to bury our heads in the sand and pretend like bad things don't happen because they do. There are people in this world who will do some unspeakable things. Sometimes people do things and it's just an accident or it's just a lapse and momentary lapse in judgment and they learn from it. Sometimes people just do absolutely despicable things that you're you're just going to go, how? How could anybody do this? Oh man, this is one of those, oh gosh, this is one of those stories for sure. It's hard to swallow. It's hard to swallow for a lot of reasons, like when I was just reading it, it really mm. tore at me, um, yeah. both as a father and as a provider and as just, you know, a decent human being. Mm-hmm. Like you said, there are a lot of people, they make a mistake or they're at a, they make a bad decision based off bad information or emotions or whatever you want to explain it. But at their core, they're a decent person. What this doctor did, I mean, he, had to, you know, come up with a plan mm. that was going to hurt his own family. Yeah, and then enact it. And so, it is very hard to swallow yeah. that. Very selfish. What happened? Yeah, extremely selfish. So this is the story of Yusuf Alalak, and it's A L H A L L A Q. He's an internal medicine doctor, Canton, Ohio. He's from your neck of the woods. Didn't do that on purpose. <laughs> it just happened. No. Apparently he was originally from Jordan and he was wanting to get out of his country and come to the United States. And he originally was going to study engineering. And then when he realized, oh, if I go into the medical field, I actually will have a better opportunity or better chance of getting into the United States. Went to the University of Jordan, graduated Mm -hmm. in 2003, and then did a residency at the Jewish hospital in Cincinnati, Ohio. And his patients loved him. He had a a great reputation, but while his career seemed to be going well, professionally, personally, he was kind of having some problems. His wife, they did have a child together that was six years old. Her name was Tana Eli. And in March of 2021, this happened very recently. This is a very, very recent story. Is the kid's name Tana or is her name Tana? Her name is Tana. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And uh, they had a child together. I don't think the child's name is mentioned. So he decided, you know, they're, they're, they have a six-year-old child. And, and he said, you know, I want to have more children. Well, Tana had really decided that for some reason she took it upon herself that it was her fault that their son was born with disabilities six years earlier. And she couldn't fathom another pregnancy because she didn't think that her body could endure it. And she just didn't want to go through that again, the turmoil that they had gone through with that first pregnancy. Well, he tried his best to to placate her concerns and to assure her that her fears were unfounded. And he even promised to her confusion 
that they would have another child with no disabilities. And she's, of course, thinking, how in the world could you promise this? Yeah, I, I think as well, I think any woman could inherently tell you, you can't promise me that. No, <laughs> you can't. You can't promise me that. And honestly, while my child doesn't have any disabilities, we did have a couple rough spots in our pregnancy. And I could completely see it. I've lived through it, that watching her struggle with a few things and mm. then the whole thought of her not wanting to go through it. I guess I understand. I yeah. mean, I understand his I want another child, but at the same time, I also completely understand her going, but I'm the one that has to have that child and I'm afraid. And I can see both sides of this coin. At this point in the story, I was still like, oh, this is just terrible for both of them. Yeah, because the problems that she had, she was, she had hemorrhaged. She had had some very severe problems, not just for the child, but for herself. And, and I could imagine if she's seeing her child now suffer through life and and thinking, I don't want to have, I don't want to watch another child go through the things that my child is going through and know, or think that I, it was my fault that I've put, put them through this. I, the turmoil must've been incredible. And so she just would not do it. So he kept on and on. She just refused. And so it just, he wanted a child so badly that it caused him to reveal a secret that he had been keeping for six years. Unbelievable. Absolutely despicable. He admitted to her that when she first became pregnant back in 2014, he was not ready to become a father. And so he somehow obtained a medication called Mifepristone, which is an abortion medication. And he meticulously crushed up the medication, put it in her food while she was pregnant. And it's not really clear what stage of the pregnancy that he gave her the medication, but it caused her to hemorrhage and her child survived, but not without severe complications and permanent disabilities. So awful. So awful. And so part of the reason I I can understand the process of why she was hemorrhaging. So the way this medication works is it blocks progesterone causing the uteral lining to want to shed. Oh. And so that's why usually when this medication is giving, this is the, the uh, brand name for RU486. Hmm. So when we, when we, when they are given the, the female that is asking for this medication is given it, it's usually very early, like less than 10 weeks hmm. when they think they may be pregnant for that reason. It's a very easy process. You take the medication, it stops the progesterone, uteral lining sheds, and you move forwards. Mm -hmm. If she was beyond that 10 weeks, what he was basically trying to do was force the abortion. However, the fetus was too far along for just a uteral shedding. So what he did was ostensibly cause the damage to his child and to his wife Mm. by trying to make her do this, which caused her bleeding, which then caused the damage to both her and the child. We'll take a moment to hear a word from our sponsor. You guys, a career in nursing is more than just a job. It's a lifelong journey of learning and growing. And professional development is key for any nurse hoping to advance their career. So how about you? Are you ready to take your career to the next level? If so, now is the time for you to get your certification in nursing. Earning your certification is a major professional milestone. It's a seal of approval recognized by professional peers, hiring managers, and patients. It signifies your commitment to excellence, your level of competence, and can make you more marketable 
profitable in a competitive field, offering 18 different certifications, including 12 specialty certifications. Whether you're looking to earn your first certification, ready to renew, or exploring new certifications, they are there to make the entire process as easy, affordable, flexible, and painless as possible. Whatever your practice level or desired specialty, they can help you prepare your exam with a range of affordable tools and resources designed to set you up for success. And their commitment to you goes well beyond the exam. They provide all the ongoing support, advocacy, guidance, and resources that you need throughout your nursing career. This is your career and you deserve the best. At ANCC, they're going to be there to help you every step of the way. So visit pages.nursingworld.org forward slash GNBN to learn more. That's pages.nursingworld.org forward slash GNBN. And we'll put that link on our website. If you want to just go to Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, you can click on it from there. Welcome, Leah. I just wanted to chat with you a little bit about your experience with CBD stat. Which product do you actually use? So there's four products, the roll-on, the cream, the salve, and the oil. The two that I use every day are the cream and the oil. What is your biggest benefit? How does it help you? The cream I put on every day after work. I'll shower and then I'll put it on my feet just to help my arches. No more shin splints, just my feet feel more comfortable. And the cream has been a lifesaver there. And then I use the oil to help me sleep. So I just switched jobs. I had been working nights for the last eight years. So the oil was huge on helping me come home and actually get quality of sleep throughout the day. And I wake up feeling well-rested and not groggy like some other medications have made me feel in the past. I didn't realize that about the feet. And I have plantar fasciitis, so now I literally cannot wait to get off here and go try that. And then just the sleep benefit, that one is definitely well known. I hear that a lot in the feedback that I've gotten. As you guys know, their products are 100% THC-free. CBD Stat has a team of engineers that invented a very unique and efficient process to produce CBD isolate, which is the purest form of CBD. They only offer very strong products greater than a thousand milligrams. If you guys are interested in CBD stat in their product, you can go to cbdstat.care forward slash good nurse, bad nurse. Be sure and put the forward slash good nurse, bad nurse in there so they know that we sent you there. cbdstat.care. Be sure and put .care instead of .com forward slash good nurse, bad nurse. He's so selfish. I, I can't imagine what he was thinking that he got away with it. Clearly, six years had gone by. She had yeah. no idea. She was blaming herself this entire time. But he, because he wanted another child, he somehow thought was er- so arrogant that he thought that she would just accept this information and somehow go, oh, okay, then. If that's what happened, I'll have another child with you. Well, that's not to certainly not my surprise. She did not do that. She contacted law enforcement and filed for divorce immediately. They arrested him at his practice in March of 2021. Yeah. He was charged with one count of attempted murder, which obviously first degree felony, two counts of felonious assault, both second degree felonies. He was offered a plea deal. He pled guilty to one count of attempted murder and two counts of felonious assault with two of the felonious assault merged into the attempted murder charge for sentencing purposes. Mm -hmm. So he actually received four years for counts one and two attempted murder and felonious assault and an additional four years to be served concurrently for count three. His wife, uh, ex-wife, as you can imagine, was not happy 
with that sentence. She attempted to persuade the court to not allow that light sentence. She she said that you know her husband was a monster, her ex-husband was a monster, that the sentencing was too light, argued that a harsher sentence should be delivered because her son was having to live with the re- uh, those consequences of this man's actions for the rest of his life with the medical <laughs> complications that he was having to live with. So the judge pre- presiding over this case withheld sentencing, but admitted that she was uncertain about, about the appropriate time duration and said could theoretically be placed because of the, the heinous deeds that he committed. But ultimately, I, I, you know, he didn't deny what happened, but I wonder if part of that was due to the fact that it, the, in agreeing to this plea deal, like if he hadn't agreed to it, could they have proven that he did it? I don't know because it really, it would have been, he said, she said, and I could go back and, and determine that that's what really happened. That is a very interesting and tricky situation, that prosecution. So to be completely fair, that is likely why he got the the plea deal that he got because they were going off her word versus his. Mm -hmm. Now there may, and I don't know enough about this medication to know if there is a lingering effect that they could test for. I really doubt it. So honestly, they were going to have to prove that he had got a hold of it which he could easily say, no, I didn't. I don't have access to this medication, so I couldn't have given it. And honestly, that's true. And that's also part of the investigation, by the way. They're trying to figure out how he did get it. So if you're a prosecutor sitting here and you have a wife that just got asked for a divorce versus, and she's the only evidence, I I know, and honestly, I feel like it's a miscarriage of justice as well. However, It becomes a question of, do you punish him some or not at all? Because Mm -hmm. I'll be real honest. I don't know if they had taken this to court that they would have been able to get him nailed down. I really don't. And and for a lot of the facts you just talked about. Mm -hmm. If they had really dug into his past and all of the people that were connected to him, could they possibly have traced back? who, you know, where he got it. Maybe it's been six years, probably not. That probably would have been a huge risk really for the prosecution. So like you said, which is better for him to serve four years, lose his medical license and go through the humiliation that he's gone through. I mean, he, it's, it's not, nothing's going to fix this child. Nothing's going to make this go away. It's, it is what it is. It's, it's so unfortunate. It's so sad, but at least he did serve. He is going to serve the four years and, and lose, his license. lose his license. And so there is that. There, There is that. And again, this is one of those situations where not only do I feel bad for the family, I actually kind of feel bad for the prosecutor because they know this. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you, I've never talked to Ken's attorney, you know, but I would guarantee that they knew that this guy needed to serve way longer than four years. Sure. But again, like you said, so six years, even if they could figure out, like, let's say Dr. A got it from Dr. B, all Dr. B has to do is say, no, I didn't. And now you have to try and figure out how to prove. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you right now, that chain of evidence is non-existent. Yeah. So it becomes one of those cases where I, I'm sure the judge at the very least probably wanted to make the sentences consecutive 
versus mm-hmm. concurrent. So consecutive means if you get four counts of four, you serve 16 years mm-hmm. versus concurrent, which means all four happen at the same time. So it is a crappy situation for everybody yeah. involved. And honestly, looking back, I literally still cannot figure out what this guy was thinking. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm ho- I'm hoping. And I mean, it sounds terrible because uh, an innocent child got hurt in the process. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping it was guilt in some way. Because I can't figure out what made it. Because like you said, he'd gotten away with it. Yeah. The, the fact that he actually thought he could tell her that and she wouldn't be so incredibly appalled and just disgusted by his behavior and, and want to never have anything to do with him. It's so, it really makes me understand really his mindset to begin with because he clearly didn't value that life. He doesn't even, yeah. it's as if he doesn't even own the heinousness of what he did. He doesn't even recognize it because if he did, there's no way he would have told her what he did. Well, I mean, not to make too much light of this, but I couldn't imagine taking the last pizza of pizza and not tell my wife mm. because she would be, you know, like on me. And this guy tried to force his wife into an abortion. And he assumed for reasons I cannot figure out that she would be okay with this and then produce another child with him, as you just said. And then I mean, let her live six years bearing oh, the God. blunt of that blame, putting that all on herself. Yeah. I mean, that there's a lot of, and, and when we talked earlier about when a person makes a mistake, like let's say, oh, a guy caused a DUI accident, you know, he's not a drinker and he doesn't party, but that one night he decided to have some beers and mm-hmm. someone gets hurt and does not make it right. But I, at least I can point to that type of situation and say, it was a bad decision made on bad circumstances, but ultimately this is a good person. You know, like you said, not only did he make the decision to harm his own child and possibly his wife, he then let her live with the guilt for six years, knowing clearly she blamed herself. That to me is the part where you go, okay, I don't think this is a bad, a good guy that made a bad decision. I think this is a bad guy. It doesn't even recognize what bad. It doesn't even recognize right from wrong. I, I yeah. just think that if he, if he, be, if he even valued uh, the life, that life that he obviously tampered with, it's as if he somehow justified it and thought, oh, I, not that he wanted to harm. Clearly, he wanted to just eliminate the pregnancy. Yeah, and apparently that was just completely acceptable to him. And so, in his mind, it must be okay for her that she would be okay with that. She would understand that. Oh, well, I can understand you. You know, you weren't ready to be a father. So it was perfectly fine for you to try to tamper uh, with my body and, and, you know, and give me medication that could have potentially killed me and my child. He was just clueless. He was just obviously clueless. Well, I would say he's clueless emotionally, but he is a board certified internal medicine physician. Mm -hmm. And I took 30 seconds to explain how to RU486 worked. Mm. That, that means he clearly also knew how it was worked. Yeah. He knew that she was obviously well past 10 weeks. Yeah. All right. And there's another medication that they can give to force the abortion. Myfisprostol. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm butchering that name, but it's the another medication you can use in, in conjunction with this. Mm-hmm. 
so he he knew the he knew the consequences he knew the actions he knew that it was past 10 weeks and that he didn't have the other medication to complete this so he really was in all senses of the word gambling with their lives yeah and i think if any person has been you don't have to be married or anything like that if you've been in any sort of relationship with any person that you've trusted and been hurt by them you understand like it it's a certain type of person that would take that vulnerability and exploit it. Yeah. Not only did he do that, he did it for six years, watching his own kids suffer and his wife and letting them. Yeah. And that, that is the part that I can't, it's hard for me to get over. Right. We, we, we've done several stories together now where Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, that was terrible, but it didn't really bug me. (laughs) You know, it was just like, oh, that's a terrible story or something. This one bugs me. Yeah. Like this one got under my skin. Like what kind of person? Yeah, because this is not just any this. person. This is a doctor. This is a medical provider. This is someone who went to school to understand, you know, human physiology and the way our bodies work so that he could then on, in a very intimate setting help people with their body and with things that are going on with them. So, you know, I always say this, the vast majority of people who go into healthcare are wonderful people because we would never subject ourselves to the torture that is healthcare. If we, you know, if we, if we didn't want to help people, you know, if we weren't passionate about helping people and yet sometimes these people slip through the cracks and end up working alongside us. And we just, you never know who these people are, you know, that it's so, it's so scary. You know, in in some ways, not that I would ever be okay with this story, but if he had been an engineer and he just thought, oh, this is the drug that causes it. I can Mm -hmm. try and do this. Mm -hmm. I would not forgive him, but I'd be like, okay, he clearly didn't understand. This dude is a board certified internal medicine specialist. He got it. He knew. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he knew. And that just adds this whole new layer of disgusting to how this guy is perceived by me at least. So, and I'm sure everybody, but man. You know, I I guess I have a wife and I have patients, you know, and I can't imagine in either situation, you know, being able to care for people and have the mindset that you could do this to another person. It just, it's very hard to swallow. Right. Especially someone you love and supposedly care about. Um, Well, they, they suspended his license in April of 2021, and then it actually expired in July of 2021. I can't imagine that he's ever going to be able to get his license back. One would hope. And and the medical board is investigating how he did obtain that abortion medication as they are, I'm sure, worried that is there another healthcare provider out there who did this? I can imagine being that person who (laughs) was like, here, who knows what he said as the reason why he needed it but then then you find out oh you have a child with these disabilities they you know they know exactly what happened and that's the part that makes (laughs) me think that it was he got it through illicit means Mm -hmm. because i think if there was another healthcare provider and again obviously he was a dirtbag that doesn't mean there's not other dirtbag providers yeah but if you had any shred of decency and you were the provider that provided this medication and then you found out what it was used for. I don't think that they would be, I don't think there'd be any silence. I think that person would be screaming from a rooftop. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Dr. A came to me. This is what he said. Right. This is the situation. This is what it was charted. This mm-hmm. is how he got the medication. So that's, yeah. that's really what makes me think that the wife is correct, that this was 
he got this from a foreign country. Or, right. Yeah. There, there was something else to it. Mm-hmm. So I have to tell you guys about an experience I had with a nursing student. So, you know, I've been doing travel nursing. Well, this hospital where I'm at has a lot of LPN students doing their clinicals there. So one of them was following me around one day and she noticed my stethoscope. And of course, y'all know the Echo Technology Company that sponsors our podcast. They teamed up with Littman to make the stethoscopes, to beat all stethoscopes, the 3M Littman Core Digital Stethoscope. And this is the one that I use now. So she said, oh my gosh, I've been wanting to try one of those. So of course I let her use it. And she just could not stop talking about it for the rest of the shift. It was so cute. She was like, you know, I can't hear anything with my normal stethoscope because I have tinnitus. And so she was so excited because she could actually hear what heart sounds were supposed to sound like. She said, I'm going to ask for one of these for graduation. And I was like, yeah, you definitely should. So just so you know, the echo technology that makes the stethoscope so amazing, you can enable it with a flip of a switch. You can turn it on and off. It has active noise cancellation up to 40 times amplification, wireless auscultation using Bluetooth technology. It connects with Echo's free app and software so that you can visualize, record, share, live stream, analyze heart sounds, lung sounds, and whatever body sounds you want to listen to. So you can go to echohealth.com and use the promo code GNBN to get $50 off your order. And that's Echo is spelled E-K-O, by the way. So it's echohealth.com and use the GNBN promo code to get $50 off your order. Well, Tom, I guess we can get into our good nurse story. For today's good nurse story, we have a very special guest, someone who I've talked about many times on this podcast. We've been following this story closely for the past several years, and she's getting close to her trial date. So we're going to dedicate another good nurse story to get her story out there, make sure everyone knows what's going on with this tragic case. So I want to welcome Redonda Vaught to the show. Welcome, Redonda. Hi, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for being here. I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. I know things are getting, you know, it's kind of getting down to the wire now. It must be very stressful for you. So I appreciate you coming on here so that we can make sure that we get the story straight and get all the details correct and get your story out there, really. First of all, for those of you who aren't familiar with the story, I want to do a quick recap of what all has happened. I want to make sure that everyone understands exactly what happened in this story. And so we're going to recap it, go all the way back to the beginning, and then we'll get into talking to Redonda and find out how she's handling all of this and get any updates to the case that she has. So on December the 24th in 2017, Charlene Murphy, a 75-year-old woman, was admitted to Vanderbilt University with a subdural hematoma or bleeding on the brain, where Redonda worked as an intensive care unit nurse. So two days later, Ms. Murphy had improved, and as a precaution, just to make sure they hadn't missed anything, a PET scan was ordered. Ms. Murphy was taken down to radiology for the PET scan and was getting anxious about the procedure. So staff in the radiology department called to the unit to let Ms. Murphy's nurse know that she wasn't going to be able to tolerate the scan. So rather than have her miss getting her scan, the nurse requested an order for Versed or midazolam, to sedate her. So the nurse asked Redonda, who happened to be working that day in the unit as a help all nurse, to go down to radiology and give the Versed. Redonda had a student following her that day. So she went into the med room where the medication was kept in a locked cabinet. So we have an omni cell where I work, but I know that there are different brands of the same type of cabinet. 
they're electronic and you have to enter the name of the person you're withdrawing the medication for and then enter the name of the medication or to get it to come out of the cabinet. For some, if you enter their name, all of their medications just populate. So usually they're designed so that you may not remove a medication that's not ordered by a provider and verified by a pharmacist unless it's an IV medication for emergency purposes. And in that case, you have to hit override. So when Redonda pulled up Miss Murphy's name, Versed was not listed as one of the medications ordered for her. So later on, we're going to find out that there were problems with the system and nurses were required to routinely hit override when pulling standard medications out of the cabinet. That is very important in this particular case. So Redonda had to type in the name of the medication. And so she started typing the name of the drug, Versed, and then one medication came up. Now the medication that came up was Vecaronium. So this is obviously the first mistake made in this process. But before you start thinking this couldn't happen to you, how many of you refer to medications by their brand name rather than the generic? It happens all the time. Most nurses are not familiar with generic names of medications, but usually the generic names sometimes are longer versions of the brand name. So can you see how if you type in VE and one medication comes up and you have a student following you, which can be very distracting, you may be thinking that the name that came up is the generic name of the drug you were looking for. So you grab it without thinking. So Redonda pulled that medication out, reconstituted it with sterile water. Then she took it down to radiology. So now keep in mind that down there, there was no computer. There was no scanning mechanism that she could use to verify the medication order. So without a computer there, it is impossible for any nurse to verify the five rights of medication administration that we all are supposed to do. She administered what she thought was midazolam or Versed, which would ordinarily only cause mild sedation depending on the amount. And, I, and I'm sure the, the dosage that was would be required for somebody to just be relaxed in order to be able to get their PET scan would not be a significant amount. And then she left to go do another task in the emergency department because she had been called to do something else. So now the medication that had been given to Miss Murphy was a paralytic that is used when intubating patients to keep them still. So there was a nearby staff member that noticed Miss Murphy looked like she was not breathing and they called for help and began CPR. So Miss Murphy was intubated and placed back in the ICU. Her family was noti notified that her prognosis was poor and that she would not likely survive. She was removed from the ventilator on December 27th and her death was reported to the Davison County Medical Examiner. When notifying the medical examiner of Miss Murphy's death, there was no mention of the medication error. Instead, her death was attributed to the brain bleed she had suffered previously, and there was no further investigation into the incident. So when this incident initially occurred, Redonda immediately told the hospital administration exactly what happened, wrote it out in a detailed incident report that is designed to help the hospital identify safety concerns and make changes to the system to keep patients safe. This is something that is done in hospitals all over the country and is not supposed to be punitive. Most nurses and other medical professionals are under the impression, because they are given the impression, that we work in a just culture, which means it is understood that if, you know, we can make mistakes, we are human, and we shouldn't have to be afraid to report mistakes so that we can improve the system and prevent future incidents. 
So in early 2018, Redonda was fired by Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt settled out of court with Miss Murphy's family, and they were required not to speak publicly about the about the event. Later on in 2018, someone anonymously notified both state and federal health officials about the medication error that happened prior to Miss Murphy's death. And the Tennessee Department of Health decided not to take disciplinary action. This is later. This is um, October the 23rd in 2018. So this is almost a year later. The Tennessee Department of Health, I just want to make sure that you guys are listening and paying attention to what I'm about to say, because this is very significant. They decided not to take disciplinary action because her case, quote, did not constitute a violation of the statutes and or rules governing the profession. And she was sent a letter the same day that stated, quote, this matter did not merit further action. I just want to make sure that sinks in. Late October, early November, after the anonymous tip, CMS, the Center for Medica- Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services, they conducted a surprise visit to Vanderbilt. And they confirmed what the tip had suggested, that Miss Murphy had died after a medication error. And they threatened to suspend Vanderbilt's Medicare payments, which would have crippled the hospital's revenue if Vanderbilt had could not prove that it had, it had taken steps to keep something like this from happening again. So Vanderbilt comes back with a plan of correction that seems to keep CMS at bay, and they are able to keep their Medicare reimbursements. But they don't want to release the plan of correction to the public. So then in February of 2019, Redonda is arrested and charged criminally with reckless homicide and impaired adult abuse. So I just want to make sure that you understand how significant this is, that a nurse who who made a medication error was arrested and charged criminally with reckless homicide and impaired adult abuse. So on February the 5th, Vanderbilt executives had to appear before the Tennessee Board of Licensing Healthcare Facilities. The CEO of Vanderbilt admitted the death wasn't reported and said the hospital's response was, quote, too limited. The board chose not to take disciplinary action against Vanderbilt. So Redonda appeared in court for the first time on February 20th, entered a a plea of not guilty to all charges, of course. On August 20th, 2019, the medical examiner changed the manner of death to accidental, accidental, after being made aware of the medication error. So... On September 27, 2019, the Tennessee Department of Health changed its mind and decided to pursue discipline action against Redonda, even though her account of the events had never changed. They charged her with unprofessional conduct, abandoning or neglecting a patient that required care, and failing to maintain an accurate patient record. They never stated why they changed their minds about pursuing discipline action against her. So in July of 2021, just this past year, past year, her license was revoked by the Tennessee uh, Board of Nursing after a hearing where she was able to give her account of what happened. Redonda's criminal trial, criminal trial, finally, all these couple of years later, is about to begin March 21st in Nashville, Tennessee. Redonda, are there any details in that timeline that you would like to clarify or add to? The devil is in the details. And it would take probably hours 
it's probably every time I've given a detailed account of this, it's an hour and a half. I mean, it's a lengthy amount of information because the details are very important. The fact of the matter is, you're right, it hasn't changed. No detail, any part of that account has changed to anyone that I spoke with, not the multitude of investigators from the Department of Health, not in the Veritas report, not anyone at Vanderbilt University Medical Center, not anyone from the TBI. You know, the facts are the facts. And I think I've been pretty candid about the mistakes that I made uh, and the things that I should have done. Hindsight is twenty twenty, But I think what we can focus on, we can't change the past, but history does repeat itself. People will make mistakes. We're humans. We're not perfect. And we need to protect patients like Ms. Murphy and all other future patients, because if something like this could happen to me, it can and will happen to someone else. And if we already know that there are problems or issues or the Swiss holes are going to line up and one microscopic mistake is going to make it through, then don't we have an obligation to try to make this our system better? You know, healthcare workers aren't bad people. The majority of us are really good people. That's why nurses are voted the most trusted profession year after year, I think with the exception of 9-11, you know, when firefighters receive that notification. But I think that it's important that we have to be honest. We have to be honest. And that's the biggest takeaway. I have nothing to lie about. I know what I did. And whatever happens in this case is going to happen. But I I don't want nurses or healthcare staff in general to lose their faith that the right thing should still be done. You still have an obligation to those patients, to yourself, to their families, to do the right thing. I don't know what's going to happen with this, but I think that's the most important takeaway is that we have an obligation to do the right thing. Yes, absolutely. Tom, do you have any questions? <laughs> Sorry, I'm just trying to think of what I can and can't ask. Basically, one of the things, and, and Miss Tina already alluded to it, is what is troubling for me and hard to understand is the system of checks into the investigation. I'm not even talking about the day in question. I'm talking about all the after effects and all the people that looked into this and how everyone said, no, this is clearly not an intentional mistake. This was not made to be harmful. And now it is. And I'm just wondering, I know Ms. Tina said that there, nobody has been able to explain it, but has anyone gave you any insight into what changed? I have my theories. Okay. It, and, and honestly, that's may, that may be all we have until all the dust settles, but it's, it's that for me as a medical professional, well, and it should be for anybody, really, when people can look into your case and say, no, nothing's wrong. And then suddenly it's almost like a double, je double jeopardy issue. Like someone has looked at this, someone has surmised that nothing bad happened, but then they get to go back and do it again when they feel like it. And I, I, that bothers me both as an American and as a medical professional. It should be concerning. It, it should be concerning because I have always felt that if the appropriate entities were notified and things were reported as they should have been, then we wouldn't be here in this situation if everyone would have been made aware and everyone would have done what they should have done. I filed my report. I was transparent. I told people what happened. There's nothing else I could have done to try to 
offer some sort of corrective plan to this situation other than to just be honest as soon as I was aware that this mistake happened. Unfortunately, other entities did not take that path. And that's not on me. But you know, that that's why we're here. Redonda, can you tell our listeners about the impact this whole situation has had on you and your life the past few years? You know, I have had a lot of time to to sit and, and think about this. There isn't a single day that doesn't go by that I don't think about what happened, the effects of my actions on an entire family of people and someone's life, you know, that's no longer there. That's a heavy it's a heavy thing to carry around, but at the same time, it will give you a different perspective. You don't know what it's like to be humbled until you've had to go through something like this and have the amount of kindness given to you that people have given to me. I was fortunate to still have three years worth of work after this, um, which was able to prove to myself that I could still offer my profession something, even though I couldn't be at the bedside or even in a hospital. You know, for the last two years, I've worked from my house and did a, a bed management position. I, I still had something to give to the profession, and, and that was helpful for me. But, it, but it's been tough. But there, people go through worse things. You know, I'm still here, and I have to be thankful for that. Miss Murphy's life is, she'll never get her life back. And I feel like I should be living my life and setting a good example for what it means to just be a good human and a good person, just out of respect for her and her family. And so, you know, that's what I try to do each day. Yeah. I, I can't imagine. I just, I, I, I don't have the ability, as, as you said, you know, I haven't been through that. It's really hard to imagine it. But nurses are empathetic people, yeah. right? That's what we do. Yes. Empathy is like our sixth yes. or seventh sense. Yes. We have it. And I think that's what makes nurses so good at what we do. You know, we're not the ones who are determining what a diagnosis is or writing orders for it, but we're the ones that are there touching people's lives for 12 hours a day, you know, three days a week. However, you're the ones that are there and you're making the impact and Maybe the worst day that you ever had is that you put your shoe on the wrong foot, but that's the worst day that you've ever had, right? And you have to empathize with people. And so I think that nurses empathize with this situation because they can look back and see, oh my gosh, what would this potential outcome from situation A, B, or C in my past practice, what could that have been? And you can see how it could go terribly wrong. And then you do see we just, I mean, you see sad things that happen to good people all the time. You know, it's in this profession, it's really hard not to be able to empathize with people about just the shitty things that happen. And we we do, we have those days. We've all had those days. And I think that's honestly one of the greatest things that have come out of this is just the the empathy and the caring that I've felt from the nursing community. It's been, it's been huge and it, it means so much. Is there anything our listeners can do to show support to help you in any way? You have a GoFundMe account. Is that still active? It is. You know, at this point, the the attorney fees have been taken care of. I think that the most important thing that people can do is just to just to be aware. Be aware of what is happening outside of your tiny bubble of your practice. As nurses, we don't get together 
in our larger organizations that support us. We don't lobby for protection and laws that protect our practice. We just go to work in the trenches and do the best we can for 12 hours at a time. Be aware. Be aware. You have a lot to lose. You have your time, your livelihood, the money that you've spent on this on the education to get you to this career, you know, your future retirement, your mental health, you have to, you have to be aware of things that are going on outside of just your bubble and your practice or the hospital that you work in. And you know what? (laughs) I hate that this is where I am because I decided to tell the truth about what happened, but I don't want that I don't want that to speak to an entire generation of future nurses and brand new nurses that are coming in in the middle of a pandemic. Things are already terrible enough. Don't let that stop you from doing the right thing or saying the right thing. You should never you should never do something that is going to hide the truth when the truth can really potentially be what saves your patient and future patients. You know, and I hope that whatever comes out of this, that the public, people who don't even work in healthcare, I hope that they're able to see, you're never really going to without working in healthcare, be able to see what the culture should be like. But I hope that they can get a little bit of an understanding of what it's like and what our, what just culture should be like in healthcare. You know, it's important. It's important that we set that as a standard everywhere across the country in every facility, hospitals or outpatient clinics. It doesn't matter. We need to be able to be honest when we're doing our jobs. And I don't want, I just hope that this doesn't stop people from doing that. Yeah, absolutely. The question I had in mind, you answered it, you know, be aware. And I think that's a great message. I, you know, I've been ER, been ICU, now I'm a provider. And everything you said, as far as I'm concerned, my opinion is right on the money, you know, from, from both nursing, knowing you did your best and being open and honest about it to being a provider. I I think most of us understand situations arise, but if nurses aren't able to be honest, it's going to make this profession almost impossible. And so I thank you for being open and candid about everything you've said. And I think you're correct. I think we have to be able to be open and just if we want to continue to be the best profession that we are. And so I, you, you said everything I was going to ask and I just want you to know that, you know, a lot of us have been or have thought at least like, what if I were in your shoes? And I think you have handled it with way more grace than most of us would. So thank you for that. The ungraceful days are hidden behind my doors. I just, you know, it's okay. There, there are good days and bad days, but I'm still here, and I, I really appreciate you guys keeping people informed. Um, and I just hope that, I hope that the nursing community and the healthcare community will maybe make some changes for the better after this. Um, and I hope that it doesn't. You know, this shouldn't shed a negative light on nursing because me as one person made a mistake that ended someone's life. We need to find a bigger takeaway from that than just to point the finger, you know, and, and sweep this under the rug. Absolutely. We need to take a, a better look at the situation. 
Perfectly said. Well, I'd like to express my sincere appreciation to Redonda for agreeing to come on the show and share her story. I'd also like to express my sincere condolences to the family of Charlene Murphy. This tragedy is every good nurse's worst nightmare, and I just hope that this story will serve to educate institutions and individuals of the importance of healthcare workers being able to practice in an environment where we can learn from our mistakes in order to prevent events like this in the future. We're hopeful that Redonda will be found not guilty of all charges, but even then, her life has been turned upside down for the past three years, and she has faced, as, as she has faced the possibility of becoming a convicted felon and placed on the state registry for people convicted of elder abuse. Maybe you think you couldn't make this same exact mistake Redonda made, but could you make any mistake at all that could result in a patient's death? We are all at risk because of this case, especially if she is convicted, because a precedent will be set. Our criminal justice system has chosen to come after a nurse for making a medication error that has led to a death. If you think she should lose her license and never practice nursing again, that is your right. And I would be willing to have that debate with you. Our healthcare system is already buckling under the weight of overrun hospitals and staffing shortages. This is only going to cause more nurses to leave the bedside. It was bad enough having to worry about losing our license for making a mistake, but now we have to worry about becoming a convicted felon and losing our freedom. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. I appreciate you guys for listening, and I just want to remind you that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse. <laughs>